This is Transistor.fm. Hey folks, it's me, your buddy Justin Jackson, back with another episode. It's been a little while. I think the last one published is back in June. Now we're sitting here November 2nd, a few days after Halloween 2018. Uh, Folks, I have a great interview for you today. Samantha Geitz is on the program. She is a senior developer over at Titan, and she's also working on her own bootstrap startup called Go Betafish. We get into all of that today. Uh, I met Samantha at Laracon in Chicago. I was emceeing and she was speaking, and I thought she would be a good guest to explore some of the questions I have around learning to program, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, all of these things I'm experiencing right now as I'm trying to teach myself some programming. Uh, I've been doing some live streams. We get into all of that. One quick note. I am doing a live class for geeks who want to learn public speaking skills. So regardless, if you want to get up and speak at a tech conference or just give better presentations to your team, if you want to give better product demos, whatever it is, I want to help you learn the skills and get the confidence you need to speak better in front of people. And uh, the focus is going to be, you know, helping you to maybe get a gig at a tech conference or, you know, a bigger meetup or a tech event. And I want to prepare you for those kinds of talks. But really, if you are looking to level up your skills in this area, it's going to be a great class for you as well. All of the details are over at megamaker.co slash speak. So head over there and sign up for the waiting list. Uh, By the way, this is going to be a live class. So every single day uh, for a week, uh, well, four days for a week, we'll be going over the material together. You'll have time to practice. You'll have time to ask questions. Um, You can even, some folks will be able to come live on the video with me and, you know, work through some stuff. It's going to be really good if you're looking for a structured way to level up your speaking skills megamaker.co slash speak. All right, let's get into this talk with uh, Samantha. It's a really good one. Hi, Samantha. How's it going? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I was just telling you offline that I have a cold, but I... (laughs) Folks, this is Samantha Geitz, and we met in Chicago. Did we meet in New York? Were you at Laracon in New York? I was, and yeah, I think we met at least briefly, but okay. definitely Chicago is, is our origin story. Yeah, I remember, because I remember you gave a talk. It was on Vue.js, right? It was. And yes. the the thing I remember from your talk is... You, you were saying, I normally talk about React, but today I'm talking about doing, I think, testing in Vue or something like that. Right, yeah. Maybe just for the folks that, um, just for the folks at home, just introduce yourself, tell folks what you do, and then we'll just go from there. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, my name is uh, Samantha Geitz, and I'm a senior developer at a company called Titan. Um, we're a consultancy that does a lot of Laravel work, um, which is a PHP framework. Um, we also do a lot of Vue and React as well. Um, but my co-senior is a big Vue fan, and we've actually had, like, we call them dev battles, and we just kind of live stream us writing applications, like, in a competitive way, and it's really, really fun. So I kind of uh, have a name for myself as this person who actively likes to, like, shit talk Vue just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> How does that and, work? Is uh, that, like, you're yeah. actually, are you live streaming these, or this is just inside of Titan? We are. We get on Twitch. We live stream them. Um, our first one was we had to build like a Twitter clone. Um, so we didn't really know what we were building. We just kind of walked into it. And um, Matt Stauffer, who is um, the owner of Titan, just kind of dropped it on us. And then we just had, I think it was an hour to just get as far as we could. Um, the second one is a three-parter and we're building um, like iOS apps in React Native and uh, Native Script. So Neither of us really know those that well, and we basically are just kind of figuring it out on Twitch, like in real time. So um, it's really fun and it's really lighthearted. It's, I mean, just kind of a like why people are into sports, just kind of a rivalry thing for fun. If if you go to battle.titan.co, that this is what it is, right? That's, Titan Dev Battle. That's the one. Okay. We have to get the second ones rescheduled. Um, we were supposed to have it a couple of weeks ago, and then some real life emergency happened, and I had to put it on hold. But soon. Okay. So, and is this something you folks just do for fun or yeah. is it, it's just like, and is it during work hours or it's like after work you, it's, uh, you go live and do it? It's during work hours. So Titan um, has this thing called 20% time. So we only work 32 actual billable hours a week. And then the remaining eight hours of our week, um, we can basically spend working on anything for professional development. So we can learn something new. We can write posts for the blog. We can get on Twitch and embarrass ourselves in front of the internet writing code. Like, um, I mean, kind of anything that's going to benefit us as programmers or benefit Titan in some way. So um, that's where a lot of our open source stuff happens too, is on 20% time. It's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Great benefit. Yeah. And that actually resonates with me. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I've been forcing myself to do these live streams and I've just called them dumb programming questions. And the idea is, I've been a geek for a long time, but I'm not very good at programming. And it's always been um, this debate inside of my head. Do I, do I invest in this or do I just keep investing in the things I've always done? And I'm almost, uh, well, I'll be 40 in like a year and a half or something like that. I was like, I, I just got to figure this out. I think I, I think that, I should at least um, give it a go. But for me, the only way I can give it a go is saying, I'm going to go live right now. Anybody that wants to show up can watch me stumble through this, uh, hopefully help me out. And that's how I'm going to learn. I've got a, it's, it's a way of forcing myself to learn. And I've been surprised. I thought, I don't know what your live stream experience has been, but people are really, have been really nice so far. <laughs> So I don't know if it's because I'm playing a little bit of a village idiot. Like, you know, I have no, I, like, I know more than I let on. But because I'm being, I'm just, I'm saying, I don't know what I'm doing. People have have been very like, oh, well, you know, you got to do this or you got to go here. Or um, the first time I went live, I Adam Wathen had to call me on Skype because I got stuck in Vim. 
which apparently is a, a, a oh yeah uh, kind of a rite of passage or something. Absolutely, it is. I still get stuck in Vim all the time. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit of like your programming story? How did you get into programming? Um, what was the kind of gateway drug? How did you get good at it? Like, what what was the process like for you? Yeah, for sure. So um, when I was a teenager, I kind of messed around a little bit with web design, but it was very much like cobbling together like WordPress and Joomla and, you know, other CMS sites. Um, and I ran for a while this um, like because what I really always have wanted to be when I grow up as a writer, and I'm sure at some point we'll end up talking about the side hustle I just came out with for that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I ran a community for writers, um, just like a forum board that was kind of actually relatively popular. Um, but I never really saw myself going into programming as a career. Um, I think a lot of women have weird baggage around computer science where they think it's not for them. Like it's just always something that's you think there's a lot more math involved and you look into a computer science classroom and it's all dudes and it just doesn't feel accessible. And I've done a lot of mentoring with like teenage girls trying to get them into programming and computer science. And they, uh, they all kind of say that too. So I know it's not just me, but yeah. What, and what was it about, like, what was it about the web that got you interested in even building websites? Like, was it because you were a writer or was it, you know, you just wanted to run you know, community sites? Like, what was it about that that kind of enticed you? I uh, I took over the forum from somebody else. And it was just kind of this really brittle thing. I and mean, I was having a lot of issues with it. So I just kind of rebuilt it from the ground up um, using like Joomla and I would say like simple forums or something. Huh. Um, but it was very much like just kind of duct taping together things that other people built. Like I didn't really understand how any of it worked yeah. under the hood. Um, there's just a very low barrier to entry on that, you know, so it's a great templates you go downloads. So you don't really need to know a lot of CSS or anything. Yeah. And that felt really different to me than just like web application development, like being yeah. the kind of person who could build something like that, like just from the ground up. I, I have to stop here because this is the, this is the piece I want to explore a little bit. It's just an honest question I have, which is, like I said, I've grown up, I've been messing around with computers and computer things. And do you, and I, maybe you'll get into this right away here, but what's the difference between kind of messing around like I've always done and actually getting into programming? Is it just, you just keep messing around forever and then you, you, you kind of fall into more uh, you know, more complex problems? Or is it about deliberate practice? Like, do you have to like, is there a point where you have to say, okay, I've messed around as much as I can. Now I've just got to sit down and learn some concepts. I think that messing around is not yeah, I mean, it still feels a lot of times like I'm messing around and just kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. My opinions about the best way to do things has changed so much over the years. I think a lot of people, when they're first starting, get into this almost like paralysis where they just go through a million tutorials because they feel like they need to understand everything about it. And then they go to sit down and actually build something and realize they still really don't know what they're doing and they yeah. just feel like they've wasted all this time and they're not smart enough. I've seen that happen with so many people who are first learning. So I think just looking for really manageable projects to do, whether or not they're actually going to make any money, but getting your hands dirty as 
early as possible and just struggling against any problems you run into. Having a, a community of people you can pull in for help is huge too. So you're not spending, you know, eight hours on something where an experienced programmer can just take a peek and be like, oh yeah, you've got a semicolon there. And that's what that error message means. Yeah, totally. Um, so what, sorry, I want to get back to your journey. So you're a teenager, you're, you're messing around with Joomla and these forum software. What was the next step for you? So um, I went to college and I was an English major. I really didn't see myself going into computer science. It just seemed hard. Like I just, I don't mm -hmm. know, like it just wouldn't be interesting. Um, so I wanted to be an English teacher and um, I got all the way through my English curriculum and then started on the education curriculum and took one class and went, Oh, I've made a horrible mistake. I would be a terrible, I'd be a terrible high school English teacher. I just what, knew I would not have it, the patience for it. What was it about that <laughs> class that, that told you that? I went to a Catholic high school in like a really nice area and I was in like AP classes and, you know, go to school, like excited to learn about like Shakespeare or Flaubert or whatever. And just this realization of like, oh, kids don't want to be here. Like no one's going to be excited about this. But that yeah. one kid a year I get, I'm going to have to deal with just 20 who make me miserable every day. And yeah. I'm, I just, I don't have the kind of personality to just deal with that day in and day out, deal with parents. And I think just, I mean, teaching is hard. I have friends now who are teachers and man, they are, they are saints. Like yeah. they provide such a valuable service, but I feel like I would just be that mean old lady teacher by the time I was like 25. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it, I, we just went to parent teacher interviews and we have, we have four kids, but we have two that are in high school and man, those uh, parent teacher interviews, you just interview parents all day. Like the parents, can, mm -hmm. those teachers were exhausted. Like they're just at the end of their rope, you know? Uh, so I, I don't think I could be a teacher either. So yeah, so you, you decided, okay, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to go into education. What, what so, was the next step? Plan B was to go get my doctorate and teach at the college level where I feel like you have a much, you don't have to deal with as much crap from kids. Like yeah. they're being, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. You kick them out. You don't, you're not like allowed to talk to the parents. Like yeah. it was. So I, that was my game plan. But um, my last semester of school, I was working at Best Buy like 30 hours a week. So my schedule was really weird. And the one elective that fit into my schedule was computer science. Hmm. So I finally was like, pulled the trigger. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take this computer science class just to get my degree. And I loved it. I was like, oh man, okay, this is what I want to do. So I, um, I went back and got a master's in information science, um, which it's kind of like a weird programming project management study, how people learn and disseminate information and how to best write software for that. So it wasn't cool. really a lot of actual programming coursework. I'm pretty much self-taught, but yeah. it set me up, I think, to kind of just jump into the industry and eventually kind of move into like more of a senior and like project managing role, which is a lot of what I do now. And that yeah. is like day to day on coding anymore. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings up a couple questions. So what was it about that computer science class that made you say, this is what I want to do? What, what, what happened in that class that kind of lit you up like that? It was fun. In a way, I just really didn't expect. Um, it was a C++ course. I was the only girl in the course. And the professor, my first day, 
he knew I was an English major and he kept me aside and he said, Oh, if you need extra help, you know, let me know and I'll stay after and help you. And by week four, I was like tutoring like 25% of the class. I just really took to it. I loved it. Um, it just wasn't, wasn't what I expected, but I was never really exposed to it either. Um, I never took any actual programming coursework. It was kind of just feeling like I was putting together all these pieces I barely understood. I saw my dad do some stuff when I was like younger and, you know, we'd work together on like building tic-tac-toe games, but I was a kid. Like I didn't understand it in any yeah. way. I just always, which is weird. Cause I know I'm smart. I just always kind of felt like I would never really be good at it or be boring or something. Yeah. Well, this is encouraging to me because I feel like, um, I too was really into English and uh, really into writing. But I was also a geeky kid that at some points had tried programming and had tried to figure out C++, had tried to... And um, one of the questions in the back of my head has always been, I wonder if I had just gone and forced myself to take a class or if I had the right teacher or whatever... Because it is a hard thing, but for me to learn hard things, I almost need to have, you know, be in a classroom. Be, have, I, I tell, like, the, the reason I think I got good at writing, even though I liked it, was because I had this English AP teacher that made us write an essay every single week. I would have never done that. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. So that's encouraging to me that there, you, you felt like you had a little bit of exposure as a kid but it wasn't until you were, you know, in college and then, you know, almost by hap- happensta- happenstance, you know, <laughs> ended up in this this class and then you just loved it. Yeah, it was definitely, and you know, I've wondered if, um, I mean, I had to face the reality after I graduated of just having an English degree. I was making like 26K a year working in admissions at the University of Missouri Graduate School. And if I would have somehow found my way to it, Anyway, just because I like computers, I always have. I'm a gamer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, the challenge, I don't know if I would have. The challenge for me is if you like computers, but you're good at writing, you just end up in marketing. <laughs> or, or at least that's, that was Technical my... Technical writing, maybe. That, that was my experience is that I just ended up in, you know, product management, marketing, the, the, the stuff that didn't have to do with code as much. And, um, yeah, anyway, okay, so that was my first question. The second question is, why did, what made you go back and get your master's? What was, what was the, the push behind that? It was kind of a Hail Mary because, <laughs> so I had all this um, student loan debt from my undergraduate degree. And like I said, I was making absolutely no money as an English major. Like, I would take home $1,400 a month and like 700 of that was going to student loans. Yeah. And I was like, man, I really want to go into this, but I need to get a second job. And that's not going to leave me time to teach myself anything. And then I'm also going to be trying to get jobs in the industry with an English degree, which actually now that I'm in the industry, I think would have been fine. But at the time yeah. it felt insurmountable. Like, why would anyone hire me with this unrelated degree? Yeah. And um, I just kind of deferred my loans for two years and just tried to get pushed that far, far as much as I could. And like, okay, I am somewhat qualified now, I guess. So I'm going to try to get some junior level developer job. And thank God I did. And just kind of been all uphill from there. Wow. Um, Okay. So (laughs) 
more debt, but you know, what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. Okay. So you, you went and took information science. So you've done a little bit of programming now in that C++ course, a little bit of programming in your master's course, but not much. Yeah, not much. It was all very like introductory level type stuff. And um, we, we took like a flash course in 2011 or 12. Like by this yeah. point, like it wasn't even on iPhones anymore. Like, yeah. It was very much, we never used like version control or anything. I'd have group projects, maybe passing around files on Dropbox. It was definitely um, several years behind yeah. like, the industry. Okay. Um, so I taught myself Rails. So that okay. was actually like kind of how I first um, like started building web apps was just, there were a lot of great resources to learn that at the time. And um, so I did that and some WordPress freelancing to kind of pay the bills. Interesting. Um, and sorry, this is while you're doing your master's program. You're, you're, you're like, okay, there's Rails is out there. WordPress is out there. I'm going to start learning Rails. Maybe pick up some WordPress gigs. Yeah, there were not a lot of like freelance Rails gigs. And I was living in Columbia, Missouri at the time too. Um, there's, I mean, a lot of people needed WordPress freelancers. So it was kind of one of those, like I would learn enough WordPress to, um, <laughs> like build some sort of, you know, client site or whatever. And then I really wanted to do like actual web application development. And my first job in Chicago, I was kind of hoping was going to be a rails job, but they knew I knew, I knew WordPress. So I just ended up doing WordPress. Like I never actually have worked professionally as a rails developer. Gotcha. Um, that's how I got into Laravel was I knew a lot of PHP from WordPress and then it just kind of like leveraged that into, okay, well I'm going to do the PHP rails. So, so I wonder if that's the other key too, is because so much of this has to do with practice. Is that what helped you learn? Is just you were on client projects, and so now you're you're programming in PHP every day. Maybe take me a little bit through the learning process. Like, was it just showing up every day and getting saying you have to do this and you had to figure it out? Like, how did it work? I think yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Is when you're you are building something very specific if you're just learning and you don't have a good roadmap for yourself and you get frustrated part with your project and you abandon it to go on something else or you feel like you need to do more tutorials or whatever. I think it's really easy to spin your wheels. And one of the nice things about being a junior developer at a company is they will give you very specific tasks. Ideally, they'll give you some sort of mentorship if you do get stuck on those tasks. Um, but yeah, you have to figure it out. It's very much sink or swim. Yeah. And I worked, a, I mean, I worked a lot of hours. Like when I first started, I almost burned myself out just trying to kind of keep up with whatever pace I imagined I needed to be at to really like be proficient as a developer. Yeah. And it was hard. I mean, it was definitely hard. Um, it was also, you know, agency settings can be kind of tough. A lot of times if, there's not this just very like conscious effort to like limit the number of hours people work. Um, sometimes promises are made to clients and, yeah. you know, sometimes people who don't understand really how long it is actually going to take to do that. So your developers kind of just have to either push back on that or work a ton of hours to meet those deadlines. So, you know, there's that whole debate about, um, I was, and I was just talking to, um, Derek Reimer and Ben Ornstein about this. They have a podcast called Art of Product and they're both building products. So Ben is like a really good Rails developer and he brought up this question, do I learn design? You know, because he's, he's jealous that Derek, who's a developer, um, knows some design. And he said, man, it, you can just get so much further ahead 
and uh, and then they both look at me and they go, man, you're so good with on stage and you're so good with writing. And, and there's always this debate about what do we focus on? Do we double down on what we're already good at? Or do we uh, kind of sacrifice these short-term gains for something that might benefit us in the long term? I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that. I think I, at some point, had to give myself permission to not know everything and be the best at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, programming is something that's so wide and it changes constantly. And you can be the expert in something one day and then have it completely fall out of favor and have to learn something brand new. And I think you always kind of have to approach it with a certain level of humility, just knowing you're in an industry with so many smart people and none of them are going to be the best at everything either. Like they Mm -hmm. may totally be better than you at a couple of different things, but you're probably going to have something that you do bring to the table that they don't. Um, and that may be writing and just being able to break down technical concepts. Like I write a lot of blog posts for Titan, like tutorial series and stuff Mm -hmm. and try to break down these concepts in a way that is easy for beginners. Um, and you know, I have developers on my team. I'm one of two seniors at the company and there are developers on my team that, you know, even in Laravel, which we all use, like if we just had a trivia like head to head like they would just destroy me mm-hmm. um because i just you know i'm not source code diving with every new release like they are and yeah you know but i have a lot of architecture experience because i've been on so many different projects over the last you know eight years so i can kind of see blind spots and that's part of the reason i have the position i have is i'm good at interfacing with clients and mm-hmm. it's a big part i think of tackling that kind of imposter syndrome of just feeling like you're a fraud because you don't know as much as other people but I think it's really important to figure out the things you do bring to the table. And if you decide you want to learn something new, then just, you know, see if you like it or not. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best. Yeah. It's okay to be, know something about design and UX and maybe, you know, not be a world-class designer. Totally. And in some ways it's been very freeing for me now to, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or I don't know, but I just, um, I really stopped caring what people thought. So in the past, I might have, especially when I was a product manager and you're interfacing with designers and developers and business people all the time, you you basically want to make it seem like you know what they're talking about all the time. And maybe I faked it a little bit too much. But now I, I, I just feel like, well, um, for here's a good example. So, like I said, I've been using command line forever. I was I was using telnetting into the university's Unix system when I was ten, but I don't know everything about the command line, and so I've and I've never exposed that part of me before. But when you're doing it live, of course, people can go, yeah. "What the heck are you navigating?" You know. So, in the first tutorial. Like I said, I got stuck in Vim and I didn't even understand like CD squiggly. That brings you back to, is that the right word? CD squiggly? <laughs> what is that so. thing? It's a... It's, Til- tilde? I, yeah, yeah, is that tilde, what it is? Yeah. CD tilde brings you back home, right? Uh, CD dot dot brings you up a level or down a level. Oh, yeah. And so those were two things I had either forgotten or didn't know anymore. And 
um, part of me wanted to make excuses like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I've been doing this a long time. Like, I, but the other part of me was just like, let it go. And it's okay if you don't know this stuff. You're going to learn way more if you just kind of open yourself up to, to saying, like, teach me. Sure. I, I don't know. I've got lots of gaps. Uh, and yeah, I, I think there's this obviously, and maybe again, maybe it's stage of life, but there's, there's things that we're naturally good at and that maybe we got, that got refined through school or a good coach or whatever. But I think sometimes it is like, hmm, I kind of want to try, you know, public speaking or I want to try, I want to try some programming. I don't have to be a Taylor Otwell level programmer, but <laughs> right. I would love to be able to build my own to-do list. I guess that's the, that's the current uh, kind of uh, project of choice. And in Ben's case, Ben Ornstein, he said, we said, I said, I think design is like getting the fundamentals of design is way more in your grasp than some other things. And he started using Tailwind and found that just Tailwind CSS had enough kind of built in. It was kind of like design on the rails for him. And he was able to figure it out, you know? And now he's, he's happy. He felt like he tackled this hard thing. Uh, And as he, that uses it more and more, he's going to understand more and more fundamentals of design and, you know, kind of go from there. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Are, are there things like that for you? Like where you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to push myself, you know, now I'm a senior developer. I've done all these client projects. What are the things where you're now pushing yourself? Um, public speaking is definitely one of them. I'm actually um, today going to be putting out a blog post on the Titan blog about it. But um, I did a lot of public speaking earlier in my career and just kind of stopped because I have horrible, horrible stage fright. Like, oh, really? oh man, yeah, I, I hate it. It's awful. Um, one of the things that really, really helped me, I did three different conference talks this year, Um was kind of reframing how I had to see myself. Um, If you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be that expert and to have that facade of just knowing everything, um, if you make a mistake, it feels like you're just undermining everything. Like, why would anyone want to listen to me if I'm not that expert? And if you kind of just think of it as like, I'm just a smart person, like telling other smart people about this thing I think is really cool and I did some research on and we're just kind of having a conversation it's a lot easier to, I mean, obviously everyone's still going to have some level of anxiety about public speaking, but it's a lot easier to get on that stage if you don't feel like you had to be an expert and you just kind of approach it with like some level of humility. And that's what got me through that live coding talk, which is being very open with everybody in the audience. This is not a thing I'm great at and I might screw up and we can all have a good laugh if I do, but like, you know, it's, yeah. I'm just going to try to show you this other concept that I'm really excited about. And hopefully you guys learn a thing or two and it's entertaining. And it, yeah. it was very freeing um, just to not have that burden. Totally. Have to be the, the Samantha guy's expert. And if I screw up, it's going to just, why would anyone take me seriously ever again? Yeah. Not the case. The, the ego is so heavy. It weighs so heavy on you. And you can almost tell when people are trying to protect their ego 
Oh yeah. And it it it's it's more clear. And again, it's not easy because I still want to be cool and liked and all of those things too. But just be, when I have been able to let it go and that even what you said is perfect. Like, listen, like I'm, I'm smart enough to have done the research and the work that I've done. And I've, I've talked about this, you know, on Twitter and blog posts and in conversations many, many times before I can do this. I can, I can, I can share what I'm working on. Uh, Adam Wavin tweeted out the other day, they're all in Australia at Laracon, and he said he really liked the format of David Hemphill's talk. Here are some interesting problems I've had to solve and how I solved them. It's just, that's so freeing because anybody can learn from that, right? Yeah. And I think you hit a point as a programmer where you have enough successes under your belt and you'll have some failures too. But when you're tackled, like there are times I get a client project or um, you know, something else, some other challenge where I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. And this is going to be the time I screw it up. And it gets easier when you know that every time you've had that feeling, you've managed to overcome it and do a good job. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to kind of tell yourself, like, I need to learn this new thing. And it seems really intimidating, but I've learned all these other new things and I'm really okay at them now. Yeah. Um, I, it's, that's a really hard thing for someone first getting into programming is because they don't necessarily have that. Um, they don't have that trust in themselves that so they can figure it out and do a good job. Yeah, totally. Because um, they're surrounded by all these other people who just know so much more than them. And it feels like just you're never going to catch up. Yeah, ex- um, exactly. Although the the one thing about uh, when when people do drop their guard, like we've been talking about, like when they um, they let go of their ego, it actually does benefit the whole group because now all of a sudden uh, there's more freedom to share. We're not so tightly holding it all together. And, uh, you know, so for example, a lot of people say, man, you're so good on stage, Justin, you seem so natural. You seem like you're enjoying it. But there are times like there were times at Laracon where I was shaking uncontrollably and, uh, it just happens on stage sometimes it, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if it's like stage fright or stage excitement, but and it's like to me, I'm like, what's happening? Like my my body is shutting down, and when I share that with people and say, like this happens to me on stage all the time, they're like, what? Like how I can't ever imagine that happening to you, and I've just learned like in those times, I'm like, okay, this is happening. I just gotta like calm down and just keep going. It will subside. It won't be around forever. But, but sharing that with the community and hearing people, you know, other people who have, who are way better public speakers than me say, oh yeah, like I, you know, I, some of, some of them say I don't get stage fright, but this happens to me or, you know, everyone has their thing. And it's so much more freeing for a community of people. I think this is why I like uh, Laravel so much is I've never been in a community like that where the people just it just feels like the guard is down more than it's up yeah I I feel that way too and about mental health issues too I feel like that's something that's been relatively destigmatized in the Laravel community compared to other communities out there um as something at Titan I've tried really hard I 
yesterday took a mental health day and I put in the thing that I was taking a sick day for a mental health day because I just have a lot going on right now and I'm stressed out and I'm not going to do good work today. And Mm -hmm. I've had conversations with all of our developers. Like if you need that, I will make sure you get that and get the space to do that and reschedule meetings. But it's really important to take care of yourself first because we're all human. I mean, none of us are just robots who are just churning out code. Well, and think about how much healthier that is. Um, like I've had so many days where I should have taken a mental health day, but what I did instead is I showed up at work and I'm just trying to hold it all together. And it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So as soon as someone um, breaks open that thing that that was hidden or not talked about, or obviously there's limits to all of this. There's There's tension between what should be open and what should be private. But I think especially with mental health, uh, that, like when that, uh, how do I say this? Like when it, when that piece got broken open, like when it, when it was in the public sphere, it felt like a giant exhale, like just like, uh, yeah, like everybody's Absolutely. been holding themselves in. And now, first of all, you have this understanding of, oh, I'm not the only one that feels that way. So just knowing other human beings experience that is so freeing. And then two, okay, well, now we're talking about it. Like, so now it's out in the open. And that mental health day, I've never, I haven't even heard of, I haven't heard of that before. I think that's such a great idea. Yeah, I mean, we have, um, you know, 10 days of sick time a year and your brain can get under the weather too. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, part of one system. And I really think that taking a day for your just general wellness or two, I mean, you, mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing you often just can't power through. And even if you do, I feel like it just accumulates this like debt, like this mental health debt that sooner or later, you're just going to just end up in some massive burnout, funk, depression or something. And it's better to just kind of stay on top of your general wellness. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to your product that my, my, <laughs> I have two podcasts. I have Mega Maker and Product People. And the problem is that I just really like getting to know the people part um, but I'm also interested in what you're doing with Betafish, uh, especially because it's about writing. So can you tell us a little bit? It's GoBetafish.com. It tell- is GoBetafish.com, yes. Um, so Betafish is a platform to connect writers looking for feedback on their unpublished work with professional beta readers. Um, one of the things as a writer, I mean, specifically for me as a fiction writer, is it's really, really hard to get feedback in a timely manner. And you have situations where you finish a book and you're so excited and you send it out to your friends and family or randos that you met on internet forums, whatever else. Yeah. And then it's just crickets. And you're sitting there like, is it because it's not good? Is it because you don't have time? I mean, yeah. Or, you know, they'll get back to you like, yeah, I liked it. It was, it was really good. Yeah. And you're just like, (laughs) okay, like what, what about it? Like, what didn't you like? And yeah, so that's something that I've struggled a lot with. Um, so I had the writer forums and I mean, there are a lot of those out there, but it's hard when you have a long book, um, you know, you post it chapter by chapter generally and people who are there from the beginning will just kind of drop off and other people aren't going to jump in at chapter 20 and give you anything valuable. Um, hiring professional editors, most of the time you're paying thousands of dollars per round. Yeah. So you might get like, you know, there's some really great feedback and then you make changes and then, okay, like, is it ready to go? Yeah. Um, so 
I'm trying to have a very low barrier to entry to get feedback, um, enough that we can pay the readers a decent amount of money for what they do. I mean, I want to make at least whatever the lowest minimum wage in the country. Like I, that's my bar for the readers. Gotcha. Um, so, and we're trying as hard as possible to have W2 employees instead of 1099s. We don't want to be some crappy gig economy race to the bottom thing where people are making $3 an hour. Like just, doesn't align with my values as a human. Yeah. So when people sign up, they can sign up as a writer or a reader. But the idea is that these are going to be very discerning readers that get paid for reviewing the work. Yeah, we're in the hiring process right now. Um, we're going to start interviews next week. But um, we're looking for people who have, so I'm using air quotes here, paid reading experience. Okay. So people like English teachers, librarians, um, people with publishing industry experience, people who have just kind of given feedback in a structured way before. Um, it's a very vague concept on purpose. Um, yeah. Because I, I think, you know, people who maybe haven't been paid, but, you know, have other experience can still bring valuable things to the table. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a thing. And we're going to have a lot of quality control in the process too, where if customers aren't happy with the feedback, they can, you know, reach out and we'll make sure that's taken care of. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's um I just I want people to be able to cuz like the lowest like bar is like $25 for up to 5000 words. So like I have this book and I just want to submit the first chapter and try out the platform, see how it works. I mean, that's beer money. Yeah. Um and you know, from there they can decide whether or not they want to go for the full it's 0.2 cents per word. So most books will be about 100 to $200 per reader. Yeah. Um what I so, like about what I like about this is it taps into an anxiety that all writers have, whether you're new or you've been doing it for a while, which is, is this any good? Am I on the right track? Do people like this? And so when and I, I notice here it says it doesn't have to be a novel, because you're a fiction writer, but it can also be a, a container for drafts of a short story, academic paper, or a nonfiction piece. So this is just writing in general. It is. I think we're going to mostly target the fiction market right now, just because um, part of what we do is we allow writers to ask um, for the shorter tier five questions, for the longer tier 20 questions. Yeah. Um, because most of the time when you're trying to get feedback from a beta reader, you have very specific things you want to know. Yeah. Um, we're not doing line edits. Like we're not going through and fixing, you know, typos and language. Like you need an editor for that. Yeah. Um, our, our kind of like pitch is, you know, wouldn't you rather find out from us than Amazon reviewers? Yeah. Um, cause the self-publishing market is huge in this country. It's, I think it was, I want to say it's like 2016, it was like 780,000 registered self-published ISBNs. Wow. And that's not even people like me who like finished a book and never published it or people who publish directly through Amazon cause they don't use ISBNs yeah. or people who go the traditional route. It's a huge market. Um, why didn't you publish just, your book? <laughs> so I, um, I finished it and entered it into a writing competition and actually made it to the final round. And the reason that I was given that it didn't actually make it all the way through, um, where it would be like reviewed by editors, um, was that it was too long. Okay. Um, it's 190,000 words. Wow. So, which for fantasy, it's, it's a weird industry because, you have a lot of popular writers like George Martin's books are 380,000 words plus, you know, Harry Potter, the same. Yeah. And most of the books I love are really long and they just say for new writers, it should really be around the hundred to 120,000 mark at most. If you want to get 
traditionally published. Okay. So I was kind of starting to work on splitting it into two and then life just got crazy and just kind of fell off of it. But um, now that I'm kind of getting back into this space, I'm really excited to start writing again. Um, I'm just hoping that, you know, actively operating in this community of writers is going to just kind of give me the push to finish my own projects. Yeah. Yeah. Years. Yeah. It's kind of like what I'm doing with programming. You're now you've started this application and this community really. And now you've got to walk the talk. You've got to actually be submitting your own writing and you know, that's going to be part of the testing. Is, is it yeah. just you? Is it just you doing this? I, um, I have a business partner, so I started it myself. Um, and I mean, you want to talk about things that you aren't good at and think about spending time getting good at. I am awful at business. I'm not good with money. I I just, I don't like it. It stresses me out. Like I am a product person. I am a user interface person. And, um, I brought on one of my best friends from high school, who's an accountant, um, Lisa Sroka. And she, uh, so she's kind of handling that side of it for me. So I don't have to, you know, just, I don't want to spend time like looking at spreadsheets and figuring out how much I can spend on marketing. I just, that's not where I want to be putting my time. Um, yeah. I'd rather be doing beta reading and building cool new features and talking to writers about what they want. And we do these like daily inspiration images on our Twitter. It's go beta fish. If you want that little bit of writer. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, this is so, cool. And, and you're just going to uh, bootstrap it. Yeah. I, um, we, our biggest challenge is going to be scaling, I think, um, specifically because we do want readers as employees. So we can't just bring on a ton of contractors whenever we want. Um, and there's also we have we worked with some lawyers to kind of make sure that everyone's IP is protected properly. And, you know, there are situations where like writers are using reader feedback and then the readers are going to them for royalties and oh, all yeah. this part of it. And wow. uh, a lot of gig economy companies are running into issues with 1099s where they're getting audited because they're just not supposed to be contractors a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so our biggest challenge is going to be scaling our numbers of readers in a way that matches demand, but ensures somewhat consistent part-time work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, that's, we don't, we don't have great answers for that yet. I, we're working on coming up with better answers for that. I think you're, I think you're onto something here though, because I, so I really like to uh, observe trends. So what what are the things that I just see popping all the time? And uh, there's a few things like that. There's these uh, like these online writing groups that you're talking about are massive. I didn't realize I'm not into um, fiction writing, but there's so many people that write fiction for fun. Like they're yeah. just doing it like, and there's that big contest every year or what is it called? I want to say Nano. NaNoWriMo. It starts November 1st. Okay. Yeah. So can, can you explain that to me? What is that? Yeah. So that is a contest. I, I, I use the word contest. I don't even know if contest is the right word. You're only really competing against yourself. Um, but it runs the entire month of November. It's, I've been doing it since 2004. Okay. Um, but basically, the goal is to write 50,000 words in one month, which is kind of the low end for like how long a novel should be. Wow. Um, and you're, get, you're getting really prizes for winning aside from just, you know, bragging rights. And there's some like sponsors who have discounts and stuff that you can get access to. <laughs> but it's just a really great way to just make yourself sit down at the keyboard every day 
and just produce work. Yeah. Because um, if you don't, if you skip a day or two, you will fall so far behind and it's really, really hard to catch up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about shutting off your editor, it, your internal editor that says, this isn't good. You have to go back and fix and tinker and you just have to just keep pushing forward to just get a draft done. Um, See, it's this really, is, really fun. And this is, so your excitement is clear. Like you love this thing and like nano nano rimo has 176,000 <laughs> followers on twitter like this is a huge event uh, oh yeah over 200,000 people took part in 2010 so there's a big group of potential customers for you here uh both on the reading side and on the writing side it seems yes and that's part of our concern about handling unexpected surges of work um you know a situation where yeah we have like the NaNoWriMo discount or something and then all of a sudden a thousand people want it like I don't I don't have a great answer for how to handle that and yeah it's it's kind of one of those things that we can't over optimize until it happens yeah the <sighs> but you have a few good things going here like there are certain um there are certain customer groups that are just bigger, easier to reach, and more profitable than others. And, you know, the first thing you generally want to look for is mass. And when I see evidence like that, well, there, and not just um, a big group of people that could be interested, but a big group of people that are already in motion. Like they're already, 200,000 people are already participating in the equivalent of a, a marathon for writing. If that's true, they are highly motivated to write, mm -hmm. to get better at writing, and they all have a, a goal in mind, which is they want to publish on Amazon. They want people to, they want to be a published author, right? Yeah. So you've got that already. That's, that's clear. And then um, the, they're, the easy to reach part, it just seems like these groups are already formed. It feels like I could go on Facebook and I could, if I looked up fiction writers or writing groups, there would be some very, very big groups. And so they've already congregated. All you have to do is go and introduce this thing that you're doing, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not trying to necessarily a hundred percent replace writer forums or, you know, I was in a long time, like a critique group of there's six of us, I think. And that sort of thing is invaluable. And if, you know, writers have access to that sort of community or just dedicated group of their own beta readers, like that's awesome. But yeah, there's just this need that I myself felt. And, um, I was thinking about doing beta reading myself professionally or to just as a side thing to supplement my income. And then had that, wait, no, I'm a, I'm a developer. I can build a tool for other people to use and also do it myself. But, um, so yeah, I, um, I think it's something that can like live alongside everything else. I'm not trying to replace editors. I'm not trying to replace forums, but if someone just really wants quick feedback in a time frame that they know, um, you know, that's just an easy, easy way to get that. Um, and, and specifically like what they want to know. Yeah. Know? And so it's tell me a little bit about the tech. I'm I'm assuming you've built this in Laravel. I have. Um it's mostly Laravel. There are a couple of React components we go throughout for like the questions is like drag and drop functionality. So that's the kind of thing that just 
way easier in something like React. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's mostly just a Laravel app. It's pretty straightforward. There's nothing too crazy going on in there, really. It looks um, like you're also using Tailwind. I am. I uh, I did a redesign in, in Tailwind. I was using Foundation. I've been working on this on and off for two years. Okay. Um, and finally, in the last maybe six months or so, got really serious about pushing this out the door. So it just looked kind of dated. And I love Tailwind. I'm a huge fan. So I just, just redid it in Tailwind. And oh, man, any developer listening to this, like, use it for your next project. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun. So and what, what stage are you at with Betafish? Like, are you um, like what, what? Yeah. What stage would you say you're at? Are you at the point where you're like trying to get more users? What what kind of obstacles are you running into? What, we where you just now? we just launched last week. Um, okay. So our biggest thing right now we have about I can actually like tell you I think it's like forty users have signed up. Um, which considering we've done no actual marketing, we've just kind of posted on Twitter. Um, it's pretty okay. Yeah. Um, we're trying to get some readers um, lined up is our big thing because right now anything that comes through I have to do and that's not scalable for me. I have a full-time job that I love and yeah. I would love to do this full-time someday. And um, I think my dream life right now is like this and work on my writing. And um, my my boyfriend is also trying to start a little side business. Um, that thing's cool. I, I know we don't probably have a ton of time left, but it's like a row your own like blockchain um, application. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. What, uh, what's it called? It's called coin press. Um, coin press, so okay. yeah, it's basically a way to, so it's just this app you install on your desktop and, um, I'm, I'm building the web and API portion of it, but you can just set up a coin and just basically roll your own. Um, so what we're really hoping is that developers will kind of use that as a base for their blockchain projects. Cause it just, all of the research and discovery you have to do is built on top of Ethereum. Um, and yeah, it just makes it really easy. And um, basically like CoinPress just has a 5% share of your coin. So if, it, and if they want, or my, I said they, like it's not my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh, he wants kind of a model, like um, he uses Epic who has Unreal um, for video games and yeah. they don't take any money out of it until it hurts, hits a certain threshold. Yeah. And that's kind of what he wants to do is just give developers tools to build really cool stuff. And if they do really well, you know, the ships kind of rise on the same tide. Is, is he a developer as well? He uh, He's actually an IT guy who has an MBA and is using this Teach Himself programming. So, oh, sweet. Cool. Yeah. He did some stuff back when he was like a teenager too and just hacked together stuff in like Pearl. Yeah. And uh, in his 30s, he just decided he kind of wants to learn development. So he's just is in C, uh, C Sharp. And wow. he just, that's how he's learning. He's just building this cool thing. Wow. See, this is encouraging. I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, it's probably just like anything. When you know other people are just starting out, it's encouraging. Yeah, it feels like I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, I think you asked me for beta fish, like how that was going. And then I got sidetracked. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because I, I'm bootstrapping a, a product on the, on the side and, um, there, there's parts of it that are challenging. So yeah, you're right now you're trying to find readers. Oh, I was going to say that's, that's a pretty good perk though. If people sign up right now, they can get Samantha to do the reading. <laughs> right. If you yeah. just, if you sign up now, 
before she's able to hire any readers, she'll read your book. If you sign up now and specifically say you want me as a reader, I think for a, a fairly lengthy amount of time, I could definitely do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some great people in, in the pipeline, though. We've been looking at the applications and we're getting just awesome, awesome candidates. I'm super, super excited to start talking to them next week. Um, but yeah, once we once we do that, I think we're going to kind of double down on figuring out a marketing strategy. Um, we've we've talked about it some um and, you know, we can run limited social media ad campaigns and just kind of calculate, you know, what the return on that's going to be. Um, but yeah. it is, you know, with Nano this year, I think we're going to participate as writers more. Um, my business partner has dabbled a little, um, but she's I mean, she's not like an English major writer type, but she wants to do it just to be in the community and um, just start just kind of organically getting ourselves out there and then probably double down on that once we actually do have some readers like ready to go and um, just make sure we're scaling in a way that makes sense. Like I don't feel the need to just put the floor to or the accelerator to the floor and just go 80 miles an hour right away. Yeah. Like, this is a side hustle right now. I'd love it to be my full time thing, but I can't just like quit my job that I love because of aforementioned student loan debt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there is something about especially when you're building a product growing organically, this has been kind of a, uh, a, the topic du jour on Twitter on what do we call this on bootstrapping Twitter? Um, that this idea that sometimes, for example, when you get money, when you get investment, it, it means you have to accelerate so fast and you're, you're pushing really, really hard for, to grow this thing that might not have found its legs yet. So you might launch, you know, go beta fish and um, your, your hypothesis might be fiction writers are going to love this, but you might get real fiction writers in there and it's like, Oh wow, these are actually not the customers we want, or these are not actually, there's so much discovery that you get when you're just going at a reasonable pace. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing I've thought a lot about, because I mean, I, I'm coming at this and I've, I've done some validation in terms of talking to other writers and stuff and the feedback on the idea has been pretty unilaterally good, but, um, I'm doing beta reading outside of beta fish for, um, Matt Stoffer's second edition of Laravel up and running. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking whether or not, you know, it's kind of a separate offering or because I don't think our current model makes sense with it, but technical writing, like, so many people are self-publishing programming books and to be a beta reader for that, I mean, every book is going to need, I mean, a junior level book is going to need junior level people who can come at it with fresh eyes and see if it makes sense. Something like Laravel up and running, you know, I'm bringing my Laravel expertise to the table and making sure that everything's kind of airtight. And yeah. um, I think that's, if that's probably a direction we would pivot. Um, if the fiction writing thing wasn't working out, I think we would probably try there or just expand there in general. Um, I, cause I think that's a separate market with separate needs, but yeah. also one that doesn't really have a great solution for this. Sometimes you'll like see these self-published tech books and it's on a topic you're really excited about. And it's just, it needs polish. It just, it clearly needed a couple sets of eyes on them. Yeah. Um, it's also, you need to go more like line by line in depth with that. So it'd have to be a little bit more expensive than our current thing, which is kind of a read a book, get feedback, like yeah. high level. Well, that's the cool thing is that you might you could explore in these different spaces and cause I could see that too. Like, first of all, I think there's a lot of 
technical people that would love to read books uh, before they're published. Oh, yeah. And would sign up just to like, oh, I want to read Matt's book. Will you be a beta reader? Yes, I'll be a beta reader. And that's already kind of built into the culture of, you know, I'll be a beta user. I'll try this. Uh, But on the other hand, like those books, yeah, if they're not, um, if they haven't been refined over time, then what could have been a great book ends up being not that, not that great. Uh, And that is the tricky part too. We, We experienced this with Transistor because our hypothesis was this is going to be podcasting for businesses and brands and, you know, but there's all also this poll from just hobbyists and people that want to start a podcast for fun. And as soon as you start to dilute who this is for and what it's for too much, it, uh, you kind of lose all of the, the benefit of that. Right. And so eventually you're going to have to decide is go beta fish. Is this for fiction writers or is this for everybody? Yeah. And, and it would have to be for tech writing. Such a, It's just like a separate platform almost um, yeah. because it's just, the needs are different between fiction writers and tech writers. Um, yeah. So not to say we couldn't do both, especially if this were going to be something I wanted to pursue as like my full-time job. But yeah, it, yeah. Our, our current format just doesn't make sense for it. Yeah. And um, even, just, even looking at like I, I, people should go check out, uh, I think it's Go Beta Fish on Twitter, right? So if you look at the 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 feel of what you're posting, it it feels like, oh, this is targeted towards people writing fiction, right? This is targeted at people that are, you know, this is what they're doing. Uh, and if you had to all of a sudden expand that into something else, it, it just, now you've got mixed messages, right? It's right. like, this is, this doesn't quite fit. But you could take what you learned with Go Beta Fish and build something else that, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think this is just the the niche I know really well and tech writing, I guess is something I would probably also be able to build an awesome platform on that. But I would rather be really good at meeting a very specific need for a group of people than try to just please everyone in an attempt to, I don't know, have a wider customer base and make more money. It goes back to that, you know, accelerator to the floor thing. Like, yeah. There's there is a need that we are absolutely trying to fill in the best way that we know how and in a way that, you know, make sure readers are fairly compensated for their time and can bring that level of expertise like consistently. Um, But, yeah, that doesn't mean that it's a platform for everybody. It doesn't mean it's a platform for all fiction writers Um, just because I would have totally used it and built around that conception. Like, you know, if I still were in that critique group, I probably wouldn't be as tempted to spend money on something like this. But a yeah. lot of writers don't have that in a consistent way. The nice thing is that for sure, there are people listening to this podcast that are programmers, but are also aspiring fiction writers. So there's a little bit of overlap in this community you're already in. And uh, it, it might be a different hat that they put on, but there's a lot of geeks who are into reading uh, fiction and especially fantasy and are also have it in the back of their mind of, Oh, I would love to write something like that too. So you've, you, it's nice when there's a little bit of overlap in the Venn diagram. I think there's a lot of overlap between the parts of your brain that you use for programming and use for storytelling 
in general. I mean, programming is just rhetoric for computers yeah. and just trying to, you know, craft something from nothing. Um, that was one of the things that really surprised me when I got into programming was, you know, I kind of always thought like writing would be almost like an escape from that and just a way to like, you know, have my brain do something else to unwind from a day of programming. And it's really hard to do both because it does use kind of the same parts of at least my brain. Um, but I'm also thinking at any given point in time about the user stories that, you know, can make a feature the best it can be. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm sure there is a ton of, I mean, I, both of the um, owners of Titan are English majors too. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> See, that's what I was, I was going to say. I, I don't want to read Laravel up and running. I want to read Laravel for storytellers. <laughs> Watch out, Matt. I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been great, Samantha. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with me today. Uh, I'd like to have some recurring guests um, because the the thing I'm trying to explore is still building products and what that takes. But this this new adventure I'm on, which is trying to learn something new, in my case, programming, um, and this has been really encouraging for me just to hear from another English person that, you know, is, <laughs> uh, and just about your journey. Uh, quickly, is there anything else you'd like to shout out? Any, your Twitter or your website or anything else? Um, well, my Twitter is at Samantha Geitz. Um, it is quite a lot of shit posting though. So um, be warned if you follow me. It's a very, very different uh, brand and tone than Betafish for sure. Um, but yeah, um, other than that, uh, if you are interested in my thoughts on public speaking, I'm putting out a blog post uh, today um, on the Titan blog about it. Um, so I go a little bit more into kind of how I go over my anxiety on that. So cool. keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I'll link that up uh, when I publish the podcast. And I, I think we should also say, um, I've passed a few people on to Matt, but Titan is not always hiring, but they're always interested in, like, if you are interested in working in programming, Titan seems like a great place to apply. It is the best company in the world. It's so good. Yes, if you, we are not actively, actively hiring, but um, we do have a on our titan.co website, um, a page about all the amazing benefits of working at Titan. I the 20% time and just this amazing supportive culture. We have a wellness stipend. We have a student loan stipend. Like it's, it's a great company. So um, definitely hit us up if you're looking and um, at least start the conversation and put, put, put yourselves on our radar for sure. Yeah. Or hit me up directly on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me. Cool. Well, I'm glad I got another episode out. Thanks again to Samantha for being such a great guest. And uh, yeah, go check out all of her stuff. All the links are in the show notes. Uh, thanks again to Striker for our theme music. Thanks to Transistor.fm, which is my little startup uh, for doing the hosting for this podcast. And uh, yeah, please go and check out that live class that I'm doing uh, public speaking for geeks. It's at megamaker.co slash speak. Talk to you soon. Podcast hosting is provided by transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. 
If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.